Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 206- 451-4220. Hey Bainbridge, Office Expats, the co-working space in the pavilion is a shared office for those of us who work remotely. We have fast fiber Wi-Fi and organic coffee. Keep us in mind too as a location for board meetings, depositions, or treat your team at work to an island offsite. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. GreatNorthernElectric.com, serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. 206-842-3620. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. What's cracking, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. Today, we have another appearance by our political correspondent, Joel Underwood. How you doing, buddy? How you doing, man? Good to be back. Yeah. Don't see enough. Uh, well, down in Olympia, down south, down south, man. It's not enough politics to talk about either to keep oh, bringing you in every God, day. There's so much going on. Can you believe it? This is crazy times. Yeah. Um, we usually do the Democratic Review, but today I thought I'd add a few other questions in here and um, comments and uh, sure whatever you want man take it a little further um, first off I'd like to uh, acknowledge Elijah Cummings yeah. and his passing yesterday yes he indeed from what I know of him and how I saw him operate he was he was a stellar individual and uh, he kind of defined fairness in my mind yeah and he had yeah. a tough job and he he did it really really well um, do you know much of his history, how he came up to prominence? I mean, the, the thing is, 
and and it's so tragic and sad that, that this is happening now because when we do have this is this is how the founders laid it out when we do have i would be so bold as to say weakness in the executive branch it is all that much more important that you have strong lions and lionesses in the legislative branch. And historically, we have at some of the moments in our history when we've had our weakest presidents, we have had dominant, incredible figures in the Senate and in the House, people like Daniel Webster and Henry Clay and and Ted Kennedy and Inoue and Sam Irvin and and all these great folks. And I, I worry when we have weakness in the executive branch, and we do seem to be experiencing a loss and by either retirement or by passing of some of our, our most needed legislative voices. I mean, we need the Elijah Cummings of the world right now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering where is – everybody wants to, to draw parallels between what's going on now and Watergate, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, if, we, if we're going to have Watergate, we need our Sam Irvin. We need our, our, our guy who can, who can stand up and use words like elimocenary and, and talk truth to power. And I don't know if that's Pelosi. It might be, but, but we need a deep bench, mm-hmm. right? We, we need these people. We need – that's why there's a, there's a movement. I don't know if you're familiar with the draft Beto movement, but there's a movement to get some of these people like Beto um, who are not necessarily going to win – the nomination, but are living and have done well in states where there are Republican Senate seats that might be up for flip, up for grab. There are people who are trying to get them to drop out and run in your state. Help us flip the Senate because all these amazing things that they're talking about doing during the debates and the town halls, Mitch McConnell can stop them all from happening. And so what what Elizabeth Warren, I think, has been very upfront about is yeah, you can have all these plans and you can have all these these hopes and dreams and these programs and Medicare for all and all this. But if we don't put serious muscle behind flipping the Senate, none of them are going to happen. Yeah, I despise Mitch so much. <clears throat> so who who uh, takes Elijah's lead role? Oof, um, How's that get sorted out? Well, you know, it depends on on his various committees and who. Because I, I don't know. Have you ever have you ever actually been to Washington and and been into the House of Congress? Nope. It's fascinating. If any of you out there have ever been, uh, unless you are very lucky and go on some very specific days, the thing that strikes most people when they go visit the Capitol, they go visit Congress, is there's there's really nothing going on in the big room. You go into the the big thing where we see. Uh, the large chamber where we see the State of the Union every year, and it's almost empty. There's usually a few senators, a few congressmen reading something into the record to an empty room to make sure it gets read into the record and it's on C-SPAN. But if the camera pans back, there's nobody there because that's not where the real work is getting done. Where the real work gets done is in the various committees is in uh, the Foreign Relations Committee and Appropriations and Ways and Means and Intelligence Committee and all those sorts of things. And chairmanships of those committees are incredibly, incredibly important. There are several states. I mean, I remember growing up in North Carolina, there were a lot of North Carolinians who were not big fans of Jesse Helms, personally. They didn't, didn't care for a lot of his politics. But North Carolina 
very agrarian state, and Jesse was the head of the Senate Agriculture Committee. That's an incredibly powerful post in terms of subsidies and and setting agricultural policy. And so there were a lot of farmers who every year held their nose and voted for him to keep that that committee ship chair. And there's a lot of senators and congressmen like that. Uh, so you have to go through the various committees and see, all right, who's uh, in terms of the majority power, who's going to step up, who is going to be the chairmanship of this committee, who's going to sit on it. Uh, that's, that's a big deal when you're coming in as a freshman congressman. What committees are you going to be on? What are you going to be invited to? Can you work your way up to where you're serving in, in the chairmanship of those? Because honestly, if you go to the Capitol – that's where a lot of the work is actually getting done. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's where the the uh, the hands are getting shook and the bills are getting signed. What's a uh, what's Elijah's history though? How did he come up through Congress? So he basically started <laughs> off. I mean, obviously had a, a huge civil rights history. Um, came up and and was fascinating in terms of he was very quickly willing to be, as not everybody is, a Democrat who was willing to make friends with and work with Republicans on the other side and and ended up on some key committees and not only on key committees, but creating bills that would then get co-Republican sponsorship. And that's really big because when you have bills that only have sponsorship by one party or another, they're probably going to die in committee. They're probably not going to make it out. You're looking for bills, and this is one place where Amy Klobuchar has been, very frankly, really good, uh, getting – a co-sponsorship on bills that will then make it out of committee and at least have a chance in a non-Mitch McConnell world to to get some votes. And he was really good at that. He was one of the best ever. Granted, he'd been slowed down the last couple of years by his health issues, which mm-hmm. I think have, have eventually were, were what claimed him, but was really, really good at making friendships and uh, really getting sponsorship and and being willing to work with Republicans across the aisle and not letting the, as the saying goes in politics, making the perfect be the enemy of the good. Mm-hmm. Is this the best we can get right now? Okay, let's get something done. That That's kind of the key. Um, there's an interesting fact. Uh, when you get elected to Congress, and this is a sad, sad thing, if you want to run again, the stats have told us that you need to be raising an average of $10,000 a week to just to run again from the day you're elected. So here's what that does, though. See, this is interesting. Once upon a time, before the money came in and, and it was so huge, what politicians did, and, and this sounds so cool, they would be legislators during the day and then you stayed in Washington on the weekends and in the evenings and you went out whatever, bowling together. You went and had meals together. You went and had drinks together. You socialized. And that's how you form those relationships that even if you and I are in separate parties, we'll get together on this bill. We'll get stuff done. Well, now you can't do that anymore. Why? Because you got to raise 10,000, 20,000 bucks a week. So what do you have to do? As soon as they bang the gavel on that Friday session, you got to be at at the airport. You got to come back here to wherever, to to Spokane or to Vancouver, Washington, if you're Jamie Herrera Butler or wherever. And you got to be going to fundraisers and you got to be calling people and raising money and doing it. And you don't have time to make those relationships with your adversaries. And so it gets harder and harder to get things done because on the weekends and at social time, you got to be you got to be making the lettuce. You got to be making the cabbage, man. It's, it's a degradation of the system. Yeah, I remember it got really serious when Elijah Cummings and Trump broke 
Um, and Trump was very disparaging towards him. I forget what the incident was. Um, do you recall when he had the press conference outside Chambers and which one was that? The uh, Al Sharpton came. Oh, was that the the Sharpton? Yeah, I'm trying to remember the issue. Um, I have to say though, I was pleasantly surprised, pleasantly, because as a friend of mine put it on to, when when Cummings passed, he he basically said. I'll take bets on the over-under on how long it takes Trump to kind of semi-trash him in a tweet. Sort of like he did with – do you remember when Cokie Roberts passed, the the yeah. ABC Newsman? And it was like, never heard she's gone. No, She was never nice to me, never good to me. It's like, what What a classless individual. He, he did a lovely tweet on Cummings that doesn't feel like – I got to be honest with the verbiage and the rhetoric – doesn't feel like it was written by him. Feels like maybe he he jobbed that out to a staffer and tweeted it out, but it was classy. It was thank you. It was we've had our differences, but a, a warrior for civil rights and a, a a lion in the in in the house. And that's that's great. That's we need more of that. More of that. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. For all the things that Trump does that I dislike, <clears throat> excuse me. He seems to he seemed to always have a little bit of mutual respect for Pelosi and Cummings, even though he would fight with both of them any given time, I still think that he thought they were a good contender, you know, a good challenge. to and Pelosi, to that seems to have gone off the rails just in the yeah. last few days, even. But I mean, um, that was one of his first statements when he took office. He said he was looking forward he was to gonna working try. with him. He was going to try. Of course, they hadn't said nasty things about him yet. I mean, that's the thing is when he, when he feels attacked, as, as most paranoid people do, he attacks back threefold. And, and that, it, depending on whose story of the events of the last 48 hours and that, that meeting in the Oval Office, um, you want to believe, uh, that's what he's done. You know, third-rate politician and both of them saying that the other person kind of melted down and it gets into a, you know, he said, she said. It's, it's bad now, man. It's, it's really bad. This, this Kurdish thing in Syria, this is, this is going to be – yeah, Let's talk about the – This Turkey, is going to be a bridge too Syria, far for, I think, a lot Syria, of the Republicans. Kurds. What the hell's going on there? <laughs> what the hell? In a, in a nutshell. Well, I mean, it starts off with the idea of the Kurds. Of course, the Kurds are... Uh, short for Kurdish people? Ethnic minority that uh, you'll find Kurds in Syria. You'll find them in Iraq, Iran, and definitely parts of Turkey. Um, do not have... Uh, their own homeland, in fact, have been retur- uh, referred to by some Middle Eastern historians as the largest minority without a homeland. And as a result, lots of governments in that area, uh, the Iraqi government and especially the Turkish government, uh, and also Bashir al-Assad in Syria, have been suspicious of them and have been very persecutorial of them because their feeling is, well, if we let them, they'd like to cut out a little piece of my country and make it their little Kurdistan, their little homeland. And so I don't want to let them, so I persecute them. Well, the Kurds come back with the chicken or egg argument. Hey, the only reason we might want to cut out a little piece and get our own homeland is because you guys keep persecuting us and trying to kill us. We have used them as we have used uh, other countries and and militaries in the past. We were using them as kind of a, a, a buffer and a surrogate, especially in terms of fighting ISIS or ISIL, whichever you want to use in that part of the world. And they had been very uh, loyal and and helpful folks in, in even going so far as guarding some of the prison camps where he, we had some of the worst people. And much like if, if you're looking for a historical parallel, the one that's been kind of roaming through my mind is uh, 
the killing fields when we told the Cambodians with Pol Pot coming down the road that we were pulling out within 48 hours. And of course, what happened after that was horrible and, and uh, has been well documented in Roland Joffe's movie and other places. And so interestingly enough, just as the impeachment really gears up, our president announces that we are pulling our troops and our military support and all that that, that has been helping the Kurds um, and keeping sort of the Turkey-Syria area, at least everybody – I mean certainly not their hands to themselves, but if, if I could get a little crass, the shit at shoe level and says we're, we're pulling out. We're just pulling out, pulling out. And it's not – here's the thing. It's not even a huge amount of troops. No, it's 50 to 100, when you, right? When you, when you, it's around 1,000 or more. But it's, it's, it's also the weaponry and it's also the you – know, Speaking the of that, don't getting. we sell guns to Syria, Turkey, we and the Kurds? We sell guns to everybody. Now, it depends on who's we. Do you want to talk about the American USA. government versus, versus uh, American corporations? You know, who is it? But we just announced we're pulling out and and – with no anything. We now know that Trump sent a threatening letter to Turkey's Erdogan said, you know, don't be a fool. Don't you know, be the sound, devil. Sounding like some sort of schoolyard, Third you know, grader. I dare you kid, but just pulled him. And of course, as anybody could have predicted, as soon as that happened, here come the Turks storming Bomb across in. the border. Um, and and it's, it's looking like it's – it's tough because who knows what the actual death toll is going to be from people who supported us and who believed us when we said, hey, be our allies and we'll have your back. It looks like we got egg on our face in my mind. Well, I mean, but this is what this is not the first time we've done this. Let's be clear historically. I mean, I was talking about the Cambodians before. We can talk about the South Vietnamese. We can talk multiple times in history when we love you till we don't. And then we leave we, – we pull out and we leave people kind of holding the bag. We've, we've done this before. But in, in the modern era, the world is such an advanced and large and complex place and there are so many people who are at so many other people's throats. Unless you are going to put the U.S. military everywhere, you are going to depend upon alliances. You need alliances. And when we do what we've done with things like the Iran nuclear deal – we just pull out when we do now that what we've done with the Kurds, where we're going to be responsible for who knows, quarter of a million deaths before it's all over, depending on what what the Turks do. Um, the next time you go to somebody and say, hey, be our ally, be our buddy, we'll have your back. Go fight these bad guys for us and we'll arm you and help you and send military advisors. They're crazy if they don't look at history and go, you don't do what you say you're going to do. You don't back me up. And does, don't we look weaker, too, by pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement and not participating fully with the UN? And are we starting to become that singular country without allies? Well, there's that. There's also the fact that, that nature abhors a vacuum. I mean, we're, we're not the only superpower on the block. You're talking about a world that also contains China, that also contains Putin. And so when we sort of pull out of these things – and we let it know that we can't be depended on and we're not going to help. They are all too glad to go, you know, to, to just flow into those gaps, as you're seeing in, in Syria right now, where Putin has always, you know, he loves the idea of more warm water ports for, for his country. He, he loves the idea of, of more Turkish surrounding geographically. They are all too happy to just flow in there. And, and, and Russia has flowed in and there. Go, and go where, where we don't 
you know, where, where we have left a vacuum. And it's – this is going to be bad. And you can tell that this seems to be a bridge too far for a lot of the people in the Senate, especially the Senate, who have backed Trump to the hilt. And and you look at the Lindsey Grahams of the world and, and – Well, look and, at the vote the, the other day. And yeah, and they are – well, that was the House. But yeah, you're, you look at, at these – and for some reason – and I, I don't know why it's this. I mean, he's done other awful things, but apparently this is for some of them. This is I think too it's much. Cu- this cumulation. Is, too far. is it? Joel. You think it's just cumulative? Yeah. yeah, we just we've had enough. I also think this one's going to get a lot of people killed, in the way that some of the other horrible things he's done. Very frankly, and and it doesn't mean they're not horrible. You know, it doesn't mean not letting transgender people serve in the military isn't horrible. It is, but they're they're fixable. The next president can come in, whoever that may be, issue some executive orders, if, if you get the Senate flipped, even more so, and some of this can be fixed. This is getting into that George W. Bush stuff. This is getting into that lying us into revenge wars and not valuing other lives just because they're not American-born that's going to get a lot of people killed. Who knows what the numbers are going to be? Quarter million, 300,000, more, more? This is not fixable. And this and is, is something that hurts us around the world. And if we re-enter it, do you think that equals a bunch of U.S. death? It, it could, but it, here's the thing. Let's, let's play that out. So even if we do re-enter it, again, the next time we go to allies, they say, okay, well, this president put troops back in the field and supported. You guys have these elections every four years. Who's to say the next president after that then doesn't turn around and take them out again? You, you guys are – I mean that's, that's the, the problem with the democracy. It's the same problem the Romans dealt with, with with constant succession. OK, so this guy's cool. Who's to say the next guy's not going to be crazy? And then the next guy's cool. And who's to say the next guy's not going to be Caligula? I mean there's no – when you're trying to make alliances and you're trying to get people to lay their lives on their line uh, – on the line halfway around the world and you cannot assure them – that three presidents down from now, because we flip potentially every four years, which 12 years in those parts of the world is nothing, nothing. They measure time in dynasties and religions. How can you assure them that, that 15, 20 years from now, there's not going to be some sort of pogrom that kills a quarter million of them? You, you can't because we're a democracy and we do that. You're killing me with the wordsmith vocabulary, man. <laughs> Trying to follow along here at home. but Sorry. Dumb it down for me, okay? <laughs> so I grew up, think when I think about politics, I always thought the process was checks and balances. Supposed to be. So how can Mitch sit on every single bill and um, Trump just arbitrarily decide by himself to take the army out? Well, the problem is we're in... You're absolutely right that there's supposed to be a check and balance system going on here. But that system, I would argue, has never really been tested the way it's being tested now. And and what we have descended into is what I've come to call the level of make me politics. Make me. Now, Congress mm. is subpoenaing people. They're doing one of the, the, the toughest, biggest things they can do. They're, they're talking about holding people in contempt of Congress. Things like that. And the response from the executive branch seems to be, make me. What can you do? Really, what can you do to me? Because the idea is, of course, supposed to be, 
as you all learned in high school civics out there, legislative branch makes the laws, judicial branch interprets the laws, executive branch enforces the laws. Textbook example is, of course, always the, the desegregation of schools down south, right? The, the laws are on the books made by the legislature. The Supreme Court interprets it and says the schools desegregate. But unless Eisenhower sends the National Guard down there, unless those troops line the sidewalks and let those African-American children go into those schools, nothing changes. The president has the enforcement. Well, now we're into an area of American history where the branch that has the enforcement is the branch that needs to be enforced against. So what do you do? You That's... leave a bunch of positions open and the other positions all go to jail. <laughs> well, that, and again, you go back to people want to... Isn't make, that what's kind of happening? Well, people want to make comparisons with Watergate and, and there are some parallels. But one of the things that's, I think, most striking when you look at Watergate is exactly how it's working now. It, it wasn't Nixon who went down at first. It was all the people around him. That mm -hmm. had blown it. It was Haldeman. It was Liddy. It was all these these nuts that he had put trust in and that he had running things uh, from from his paranoia. And in the same way, you know, you look at, at who Trump has surrounded himself. We're looking at, at people like Giuliani and, 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 and the, the two wonderful guys he was hanging out with and doing business through. Paul Manafort. Exactly. Uh, I think we're going to find out things about uh, Donald Trump Jr. and Jared, and that yeah, I mean, I always I'm amazed at how many how we're going after Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden. But what what are Trump's kids doing? Well, and and let's let's be fair for just a moment from the other side of the room. What the Bidens did was at and again, as CNN is always careful to say, there has been no evidence of wrongdoing by the Bidens. Yeah, that's true, but it wasn't smart. It it's not look, when, you're, good on when your side. dad is is the vice president. It just lay low for eight years. Just the, 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 you got you have to be one of the things when I was teaching that I sometimes had to explain to kids and and uh, especially when I had maybe a a young man who was constantly getting in trouble or or something like that. Every now and then you have to sit down with kids, of, especially of a certain age, and go listen. The world is not fair, and sometimes you're not just responsible for how things are. Sometimes you also have to be responsible for how things look. And, and yeah, I know you didn't cheat on this test or, yeah, I know such and such didn't happen. But you have to know that you're in a situation where you also have to worry about how it just looks. Mm -hmm. and, and when your dad is the vice president and you're taking – and you're on uh, uh, executive boards of foreign companies, it just looks – just don't do it right now. Right. Don't do it right now. That, that's all. And again, that said, no evidence of wrongdoing. But be responsible for how things look. That's what the big kids do in NFL football. Yeah, fifty grand a month to be an advisor. Right. So, so is that what you make with your speech consultant? Uh, in, in, it totally depends on what you're doing. I was looking last night at some speech fees uh, for uh, some of my favorite politicians and actors. And, uh, for instance, Caitlyn Jenner gets 60000 bucks every time she opens her mouth. For a for a a, a business or or political speaking gig, you know. Oh, there's there's some app now that you can uh, dial up and get a message from a celebrity, and there's different. Oh, there's prices. something. Yeah, and they record those. Yeah, and different ones depending on how hot they are. Uh, yeah, different ones cost different amounts. Yeah, I've seen that. I've, I've seen that. Heard some comedians talk about it, but what? Which one did I see? Oh, Bat Dad. 
You ever seen seriously? Yeah, bat, that guy, Bat Dad, will wow. send you a message for forty. Man, bucks. he jumped right up into the saddle, didn't he? He's making some home videos and. Well, I noticed that, God. He, like his daughter is like ready for college or well, whatever. And his and kids she, and his kids aren't into it anymore. It's no. funny. You watch them; they're they're old. They're like, Dad, this was funny when I was five, but no. Yeah, they were babies in the back of the car, and he was a stay-at-home yeah. dad shooting his Bat Dad stuff. And God. now it's like fifteen years later. What we get famous for? Isn't it funny? I don't know. I'm not looking for any fame, um, and I can do without out all that. Speaking of fame, though, Kim Jong-un, did you see those pictures yesterday of him riding the white horse through the snow with his jacket? But, I was... see, but see, we laugh. We laugh at that. We laugh at Putin with his shirt off on the horse and things like that. But if you look at what makes a dictator a dictator— you look at military parades and things like that. If we take the names of the country off of them and we talk about all, all those things, are we really that far away from that? I mean, here's Trump wanting to have parades with, with rockets and tanks and soldiers down True. down uh, 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 the main drag in, in D.C. You look at um, uh, dictators having their own news agencies that only puts out the story that they want to put out and calling everything else fake. I mean, we, we laugh at people like Kim Jong. And by the way, if you've never been on, uh, what's one of the great websites? Kim Jong Un looks at things. There's just, it's just all these pictures of him going around the country and looking and being shown through factories and shown. It's I don't know why it's funny, but it is. But are we are we really in a world where we can point fingers and laugh at that to that yeah, degree? Because we, we, we kind of be we're kind of headed. We we do some of that dancing ourselves. And and. Just the visual on him is kind of softened. You know, he used to kill people that gave him a bad haircut. And I'm sure he still does. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's still a lot of, you know, you every now and then um, a, so, a soldier will come across the border and uh, defect and just tell us horrible stories about what's going on there of people getting put in, you know, tiny cages where you can't stand up, but you can't sit down. And, you know, his brother being, being thrown to dogs and all that. And I'm, I'm sure that's still going on. But... You know, not to get too scriptural for a second, I'm not a religious guy, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus of Nazareth says very clearly, judge not lest ye be judged, and says, before you tell your neighbor of the speck in his eye, deal with the twig in your own eye. Or as they tell you in every flight that you get on, when the masks drop down, fix your own mask before you go to fix the mask of your child. Clean because your it, own backyard. Because if you, you pass out, yeah, because then you then you ain't helping nobody. And and so I, I think we do need to be very careful. You you should call out people like Duterte in the Philippines, those folks, when when they're doing awful things, and, and they are. But by the same token, can we really like make fun of somebody like Boris Johnson? who now appears like he might have a Brexit deal, maybe. No, I heard this morning it, it passed. Well, it, and I mean, it's got to pass a lot of different houses, a lot of different legislative bodies in Europe. But who may have a Brexit deal? Can we really make fun of him? And he is somewhat of a laughable character. When we look at what we, democratically, and you may hate the Electoral College or you may not, but those were the rules that everybody agreed to play by before the election started. We elected that guy. So... We, I think we need to be very careful of, of pointing fingers when we ourselves have a great deal of yard work, to use your analogy, to do yeah. here at home. But I, I still think I can point a finger, finger at Kim Jong-un, you know, and call him out without cleaning up my own backyard. <laughs> he, he's 
Trash. He's something else. So there's a lot of people that ran for president on the Democratic debate. We're getting down to fewer, though. And let's talk about some people that are gone. First of all, can I just say how disappointed I am with CNN that you get, because you and I talked about it last time I was sitting in this chair, to have 12 candidates make their their standard and then say, we're going to put all 12 on one night as opposed to two nights of six. Come on. You're supposed to be a news network. You want to be the cable news network of record. Tabloid. Yeah. You you want to be what the New York Times is to print journalism. You want to be that on cable. And yet you're not willing to give up two nights of of primetime television to to make sure that that we get to see and hear uh the, the the most in-depth stuff from from the people who want to be the leader of the president two nights of six this is incredibly de- and and the first hour and a half i would argue things slowed down the first hour and a half was like i think you and i were texting back and forth i think you you raised up you like this is the worst speed dating i've ever seen i mean it was just bing 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 and i'm like this is useless this is yeah. utterly useless nobody has the time to say anything new definition of political race i, I think tom steyer i think he spoke four times well, I mean, that's like Tulsi Gabbard, who I admire. Well, I admire almost everybody, but I, I like her a lot. And she was thinking about, um, what do you call it? Not coming to the debate because of the right. parameters. She only announced the day of that she would. Try. And there was twice where she got cut off and she got like seven minutes to Elizabeth Warren's 21 minutes mm-hmm. in a three hour period. Mm-hmm. So standing up there for three hours and having seven minutes of talk time is not much. But once they cut her off because she was going after Elizabeth Warren. Twice. Front, well, this, here's what I was thinking about the second one. The second one, they kind of parlayed that into, we need to take a commercial break. Right. Well, don't ask me a question and then a mid-sentence and answering it. And then you don't like the answer. And we're going to have to cut away for our sponsor. Well, here, here's what you could tell and, I, and the moderators could tell. That she very specifically, and not just her, but she was the most blatant with it. Um, uh, uh, Amy Klobuchar did this as well. Had made a clear decision. Elizabeth Warren is now the lead dog. Elizabeth Warren is now the front runner. You go after her. Well, that CNN, had been CNN Biden. Put her up there right. too. That, that had been Biden, and and you got to ask yourself what's happened with Joe Biden that he is now not perceived as that threat. Well, the Hunter Biden thing. There's so much. There's so many reasons. He's he's just constantly shooting himself in the foot. But watch how many times Tulsi Gabbard went, and we should talk about everybody's health on the stage. And I would like to challenge us all, starting with Senator Warren, to tell us about that. And she did that with two separate issues, and. That's that's a little transparent that that you you sat down with your strategists and said go after Warren go after mm-hmm. Warren that's the way to go and the CNN moderators were were pretty clear they were not going to let that happen they were going to make it happen if they wanted it to happen if they right. wanted to pit Beto and Pete against each other they get to do that but like, you don't get to do that and it's just like I, I was texting you too I was like why is it thirty seconds and that was just a rebuttal situation rebuttal. and then you can't talk unless your name is invoked right and it's got to be so frustrating especially for the people that are second tier that have points to be made right i mean cory booker who i think is great in debates and was terrific in the lgbt uh q town hall was reduced to 
platitudes and can't we all just get along and we shouldn't attack one another. And he didn't really get to Mm -hmm. make many substantive policy statements in the night. I I did Um, appreciate what he was saying, though. No, I appreciate it. And people need to say it. But by the same token, the American people are they want to know what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And and when you're sort of reduced to saying, hey, guys, let's all talk to each other nicely, we're not getting to hear what you're going to do. Right. And the topics weren't weren't very broad based. I mean, they, they seemed almost tabloid f- fodder or um, reality TV based again. You know, it's like, let's get into the, the immigration situation. Let's get into the mm-hmm. Medicare. Let's get into some of these hot topics that, you know, just frankly, weren't discussed at all. Well, I mean, you. You, you had to, the impeachment uh, decision had had been made since the last debate, and so you got to talk about that because we all want to know what the next president is going to feel about impeachment. Are you going to uh, let let's say let's let's even roll it out? Let's say this ball of yarn keeps going, and there are people who are crying out after he gets out of office. Let's assume Trump loses for a second. Yeah, but nobody on that stage is going to take up that criminal prosecution. No, they're all going to take up the he should be impeached. Sure, sure, sure. But the the question is, are you going to, after he's out of office, if he's potentially facing some criminal charges, are you going to instruct your Justice Department to do that? Or are you going to do what Gerald Ford did and say, you know what, the best thing for the country in terms of Richard Nixon is to turn the page and let's move on and let's start to heal. We want to know what you would do. So you mm-hmm. do kind of have to deal with the impeachment question. And grant, and remember, there was a time not that long ago when some candidates were for impeachment and some weren't. You have candidates like, for instance, Andrew Yang, who has come around. Uh, you, you, have, you have candidates who have changed their views. So the American people want to know that. Again, to, to, to overlay these, these whole democratic debates, there are certain things you have to remember. Number one, from a, from a bird's eye view – there aren't that many policy differences. They all kind of believe in most of the same things. So what these, these moderators and these debates and these networks need to do is they need to show us where they're different. And right. so you, you have to show us where the divisions are in things like Medicare versus Medicare for all. How are you going to pay for things? Are you going to do a wealth tax? Are you going to do a value-added tax? What are you going to do? Because the average American doesn't see those differences. Right. And I think – the candidates, to their credit, did a really good job of, of that. Like, I think Andrew Yang challenged Warren on Social Security versus UBI, mm-hmm. $1,000 versus $200. I think Pete Buttigieg talked specifically about medical um, plans and what that looked like. Right. Um, Tom Sire, Steyer did a good job, too, and Amy Klobuchar of telling Elizabeth Warren, hey um, – Nobody's really disagreeing with your statement. That everybody needs medical care, right. Yeah, sure. and that uh, wealthy businesses like Amazon should be taxed. Okay, what's your next sentence? You know, wh- right. wh- what What do you mean by that? We, we've heard you yell and rant about this. Now tell me the specifics of your Medicare for all. Sure, and- right, she's got that one big hole, which is how are you going to pay for this thing? And all the others, as, as Biden correctly pointed out, you're talking about a bill that is more than the 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 entire military budget mm-hmm. each you're talking about a massive amount of money um so what are you going to do are are you going to you're you're not just going to get there cutting things and closing loopholes 
you're not. You're talking about a massive redistribution of wealth in this country. But that's a dirty word to say because as soon as you say redistribution, everybody hits the magic socialism red button and goes mm-hmm. crazy. Ah, socialism. So but but that's really what you're you're talking about a gigantic redistribution of wealth in this country. And she's it's interesting to me that for somebody who is in so many other areas talking so boldly and so in in many ways angrily and forcefully which I think is positive, there is that one place that she's unwilling to go. There are those sort of magic words that she's unwilling to say. Oh, there was a moment with Kamala Harris and her too that she was just not going to acknowledge. Yeah. That I'm not going to let you box me in there. I'm not no. going to let you. Harris wanted Trump off Twitter. She wanted a soundbite. She was looking for the. And she Harris kept was pushing it. Pushing, pushing, pushing. Warren, look at her and then just go back to ignoring her. Right. Well, and it's it's the same way, and yet, isn't it interesting? She doesn't want, but she she thinks you ought to break up the big tech companies, in a way that that Andrew Yang is is trying to educate her and basically saying, listen, you break them up, they'll just they're the Terminator, they'll just reform in a different way. You're not going to solve it that way. Well, the way you're going to solve it is economically by charging them for transactions. That's that's how you're going to. I heard a rumor that I glanced over today that Zuckerberg is a descendant of Rockefellers. Wow. I have not seen that. Well, you never know if it's fake news or not. Um, But, yeah, we have this American dream, be an entrepreneur, start a big business. And once you get be a big business, everybody comes after you, you know, lawsuits and breaking you up and. It, it's hard to have that American dream because you get turned on for being a sellout or, or doing too well if you get to a certain status. But there's such a thing as too much, right? And I mean, you know what You know what it's like? I look at people like Bill Gates now and Zuckerberg even too. Uh, Paul Allen certainly was doing this before he passed. Making these massive attempts to give back money and try to give back mm-hmm. 90% of their fortune and you know get other billionaires to sign on to giving huge chunks of their money back. And what it kind of feels like – have you ever been at the Thanksgiving table around the family and they're passing around the bowls of food, whether it's the macaroni salad or the cranberry sauce, whatever it happens to be. And just because of the spoon size or something like that, you do a little scooping. And then after it's already on your plate, you look back in the bowl and you look at your plate and go, oh, crap, I, I took too much. Oh, damn. Now And then you're going to get down to the people at the end and there's not going to be any. But what are you going to do now? You can't like – scoop food off of your plate back into the bowl that's disgusting but you realize just in this horrible moment i took too much oh my god this is this is not okay i I took too much i look greedy and in the same way you look at the zuckerbergs and the gateses and the allens of the world there is a point or the warren buffetts warren buffett does this as well where you you do kind of look at the bank balance and you look at the sheet and you look and you drive past the homeless encampments in Los Angeles. And there's this moment of, holy crap, I took too much. Mm. Oh, I think I got a little too much. How do I give that back? How do I give? I, I, I didn't mean to do it. I just wanted to be successful. I just built a better mousetrap. It's all I did, but I took too much. What do I, what do I do? And that's, that's a, that's a hard thing. Yeah. And you got to look at philanthropy and, um, the giving and is it self-serving? I remember a story that my, my father told me um, back when I was in college. I said, "Hey, that Bill Gates guy—he just donated computers to every uh, room in the University of Washington. You know, free. Isn't that mm-hmm. great?" 
He's like, I bet you he's charging the U-Dub for all the software, though. And the mouse. And, you know, then it just keeps going. And it's like, okay, I've given you something free, but now you have to pay me to make it operate. I think that happens sometimes. I, th- I think there is, there is motivated giving. But, and, and, so, and there's also giving that happens that I think is just to make yourself feel better sometimes mm. because you're dealing with a guilt issue or whatever. What I've come to feel like in my old age is I don't care. I don't care if a, if a billionaire decides that they're going to give 90% of their wealth back before they die, let's say, and they sign on to that pledge or this pledge. I don't care if they're doing it because of guilt or because they, they are trying to stimulate growth in the economy or that they're having trouble raising their kids with any sort of uh, uh, sense of needing to work for themselves. I don't care about the motivations. I care that it's happening mm-hmm. because we need it. We need it to happen. We are, we're tremendously out of balance. I, I care at what, ex, what uh, expense you get rich. Like the, sure. The lack of taxing for Amazon yes. is horrible. Um, you know, Coca-Cola gets um, bigger and more prosperous, but they destroy water communities Absolutely. You know, in third world countries and stuff like that. Bill Gates seems to have turn the corner a bit you know with the malaria Mm -hmm. and the gates foundation and stuff like that but i I often wonder how many things he destroyed to get that wealth so he could get in that position to be the philanthropist that he is today well and and this is you know so obama went there and got just killed for it if you recall a few years ago with the famous you didn't build that the, the the when he was he during the speech he was talking he's saying listen if you're a if you're a billionaire business owner in America if you've got you didn't build that by yourself and people got all offended like he's he's attacking American entrepreneurship or, but Elizabeth Warren is basically saying the same thing now which is listen if if you built a jillion dollar corporation good for you that's great for you that's wonderful and that's why we're going to let you have the first whatever it is fifty million dollars uh, without the wealth tax on it but she says I'll bet you built it using shipping and roads that we all paid for. I bet you built it using an internet that we all paid for. I bet around the world your shipping and your uh, uh, product lines are protected by military that we all paid for. So that's why we're, we're saying with the 50 million in first dollar, start giving two cents per dollar back. We don't want it all, mm-hmm. but we're saying nobody does it all by themselves. Right. The, 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 Myth of of the totally self-made entrepreneur in America is exactly that a myth. You know, you you have public utilities, you have police protection. If your warehouse in Louisville, Kentucky catches fire, it's going to get put out by a fire department that we all paid for. So that's you you didn't do it all by yourself, and and that's where I think she's coming up with her her wealth tax idea. That's a good point. Let me get on these. Uh People that have dropped already. Yeah, we've we've seen some bye byes. How many? How many you think have entered the Democratic race since the start here? Since the start, well, there was one point where if you count everybody, like if you count Wayne Nessum from from Florida, you know the former Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver, uh, who you know most people have never heard of. Yeah, we uh, were up fl- to the Florida mayor. Yeah, we we were up to about twenty five at one point. Yeah, yeah. you're right. And and now it's been you know ticking off, ticking off. You know, do you so Messam is is still uh, technically still in it, but he's never made a debate. Never made a debate. Never going to make a debate. So how do you run? Is can you, can you get 
voted in without going through the debate process. Steve Bullock of uh, of Montana would tell you yes. He would say this that I I'm not worried that I haven't made debate stages except for one. This mm-hmm. thing is not going to be won and lost on debate. The the people of Iowa, the people of New Hampshire are going to decide it. Um I would say that's very, very difficult to do. If you poll people in Iowa, no one has has ever heard of Wayne Messam and, and they're not going to vote for him. You know, one thing that I really respected of Cory Booker after about it was about a week after the the, the most recent debate, not not this last one, but the, the debate before. Yeah, he was about to. Pull he was up. very honest. He said, listen, I'm, I'm thinking about if we don't raise a certain amount of money, I'm, I'm going to pull out. And it wasn't. Just I really he wasn't just trying to spur his followers to give money as so many of these people are. He made a good point. He says, listen, once it's clear that it's not going to be you, mm-hmm. either because of money or polling, and you stay in, now this is just an exercise in ego. Right. It's purely what it is. It's an exercise in ego. And he said it's very difficult to go to people who are giving both large scale and small scale donors and say, please give up money. Some of which some of you probably can't afford to feed this exercise in my ego. Well, and I respected him for being that honest. That's, yeah, that's and I, it's true. Once it's, once it's not going to be you, you're just doing the ego thing. I respected Gabbard too, saying that she might boycott the thing too, because I think the DNC has made it so astronomically difficult and crazy to just to participate and then you get a in a situation like she was in where there's a three-hour debate and she gets seven minutes of speaking time and gets cut off twice or yang before when he wanted to reply and his microphone was shut off you know it's like i have to raise all these donors Mm -hmm. and i have to from all these different states too yes and i have to arbitrarily rank in these polls you know and these polls are just, it seems like just arbitrary. Like they're just kind of made up in my mind. I, I've, nobody's ever handed me a poll and said, you know, what do you think? Right. And why is one poll more important than the, than the next poll? So do you think the system's busted? Is there room I think for it's improvement? A, I, I think it's certainly imperfect. I think if you had Tom Perez, the, the chair of the DNC, sitting here at this mic, he would tell you, listen. There's got to be some way to filter this through because you do have people like Wayne Essam running who is is it's not going to be him. But the longer that he what he's trying to avoid is what happened to the Republicans in 2016 and, and which is tough because we've even got we've got even more people than mm-hmm. that now running where they basically for a, a year and a half just sit and snipe at each other and knock each other down and give the eventual Republican uh, uh, challenger, of course, Trump, uh, just ammo to to come back at them with when we finally get it down to one person. We've got to get it down. We've got to narrow this field as, as quick as we can, because otherwise we're just hurting ourselves. And to a certain degree, that's that's he's being unsuccessful. That's actually happening. We are as as the as the democratic nominees they are hurting each other and showing the republican machine exactly where the soft spots are the achilles heels are when it whoever it ends up being at a minimum if you were made all four debates so far yeah. how much have you spent just to participate oh my god um well they're talking about pete 
uh, being this amazing, incredible fundraiser because he's sitting at about the $25 million mark. By the time it's all over, I think, um, I think Obama's first election, he was, if I'm not mistaken, you have to double check me on this, but I think he was the first presidential candidate who ended up spending a billion dollars. By the wow. time from from beginning to that's 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 the general election too when the money that's really too much serious. isn't it that that is too much and and there's no way that, that's too much for several reasons um, number one because there's no way you can raise and spend a billion dollars and then not get into office owing some heavy duty favors mm, and having to point. to to pretend that's just too much money from from too many places. Um, the other thing that's interesting, and, and the reason I think you're going to start to see a lot of this money go down, is because some of – and look at Andrew Yang. He's a perfect example. Some of the best ways now, because the evolution of the internet and social media, to speak to people and to get your message out there are free. Mm-hmm. Perhaps Twitter's free. You know, the Facebook and, and, and Instagram, all these, these are free. And so you can reach massive amounts of people now um, – in a way that that candidates before just never could for for no money. The other thing is with the demise of network television. Once upon a time, you remember when the when the numbers were getting really really up there, there was only you know there was ABC, CBS, NBC, and public TV. You know, and mm-hmm. then Fox came along later, and so those those corporations could basically charge whatever they wanted to for minutes on the air. Now, of course, there's this massive wide dispersal. The, the trade off is, of course, you can target your advertising. To, uh, to, to whoever, whatever audience you want in terms of cable. But it's gotten more expensive to put gas in your vehicles and planes. Um, are you going to provide health care for all your workers, you know, for the people who, who do your campaigns? I mean, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Yang brought up a good point, too. He was like Biden, Warren, and uh, Bernie all have like 45-plus offices in New Hampshire and Vermont right now. Yeah. And he's got two and the next most is like three by any other candidate. Right. So it takes a lot of money to open that office, to staff that office, and mm-hmm. then make that office impactful. Right. And that's another thing. It just drives me nuts by the time Washington votes. You know, yeah. there's so much already out there. Well, and, and what candidates have learned is they're depending upon the knockout punch in the early rounds. They're, mm-hmm. they're saying Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. We're going we're gonna to come out consistently in the top three, if not the top two, in those places and get a lot of these other people who could be a little scary down the road to drop out. That's, that's, so what, weird, they're, that's that, what they're depending that's on. That's so rural and, and small amount of people that's why they did in, it. in those populations. That, I, I just can't fathom why those states have so much power over the election. Well, that's why they, they wanted to be up at the front of the line. And that's why... If you're listening out there, be very, very careful when you read these polls, because a lot of times when they talk about who's polling and, oh, Joe Biden beats uh, Trump in this poll or that poll, most of the time, these are national polls. Don't get caught up getting too excited or too defeated in national polls, because we do not elect the president nationally in this country. Like it or not, we can talk about why the Electoral College is good or bad and what it does, and that's whatever, but those are the rules, and they're not changing. We're, never, we're not getting rid of the Electoral College. So we elect the president state by state. So when you look at polls, you got to look at state polls 
don't get caught up in all this national polling that, oh, Hillary's doing so much better than Trump. Nationally, maybe she is. But we don't elect the president nationally. We elect the president state by state. So look at state by state polling. All right. It's been about an hour, so I want to bust through some of these uh, candidates and Bust. And how you thought they did sure. performed. Um, before we do that, though, when's the next debate? So next debate's coming up in uh, mid-November. Right now, interestingly enough, of the 12 people you saw on the field, only eight have qualified for it. And this isn't like the September-October jump. Those eight people, I mean, it's the four people who have not already qualified are not close. They're really not close. They don't have the, the polling if they have the, the, the money. They don't have the polling. If they have the polling, they don't have the money. So those eight who, who look like they've already been there look like the eight we're going to have, unless something massively changes between now and then. And who are those eight right now? You know? Well, obviously, you've got the big three. You've got Bernie, uh, Biden, and, and, Warren. Uh, and, and Warren. Then you have Pete. And then you also, I believe, have Harris. Uh, and then I think the only other ones who are up there, I know Steyer is not in it. Tulsi's not in it. Uh, Klobuchar, I believe, still is. Yeah, I think which Amy is and cool. O'Rourke. And, and O'Rourke, yeah, which is, which is surprising. Now, like I said, the ones who have the polling, they're, they're having difficulty with money. So it's it's going to be tough. They're going to you're going to see if you follow any of these people. I made the well, it's not a mistake, but I, I made the mistake of of uh, following Andrew Yang at a certain point on on Twitter. And I mean, the monetary requests come in some cases two a day. Mm-hmm. You know, well, hey, that, I follow every candidate yeah. and I get the same. Oh, thing. every one. Yes, your inbox must be just. It's, bot, I mean, it's botful. It's botful. I mean, every day it's it's like, you know, oh, hey, help us get this cash. Oh, we've set this $40,000 goal in the next 48 hours. And, yeah. oh, it's exhausting. At least, at least Yang has some humor when he asks some, sometimes. Jeez, it's just and he'll, it's constant. he'll uh, give some swag out or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or he'll do it through a meme or mm-hmm, something like mm-hmm. that. So, well, let's start with him. How did you think Yang performed? I think he knows what he wants to do in them now. He has he has forever put away the idea that he's going to compete with these guys talking like they talk mm-hmm. and 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 speaking like they speak. Um I found it very interesting. Yang there was one moment that pricked up my ears. Um did you catch him when he was talking about how you would talk to Russia about the election meddling? He's like, "Listen, we got to say to Putin, look, we've meddled in some elections." You've meddled in some elections. It's what we do, but we got to stop now. Mm-hmm. There was a moment when, I, oh, that's not going to play well. But that's what he's selling, right? Is I tell it like it is. I I speak very, very plainly. I don't watch my words very carefully. Um, you can tell, I thought, just looking at him, um, that the stress of the trail is wearing on him a little bit. Yeah, he... He looked a little worn out. He looked a little tired. I mean, he also this... seemed a little arrogant for the first time in my mind. Like I had, I've heard all his talking points mm-hmm. numerous times, and I know he does a really good job on podcasts. Um, so the repetition of hearing about the truck driver and yeah, automation yeah. and stuff like that is is a little tough to continue to support the same message over and over and over, even though it's a good message. He just looked 
arrogant and angry. Like I, I got the answers. I've done the math. You know, let's yeah. quit this nonsense and yeah. go home. Why do I have to be here? Yeah. But the, you know, there was an interesting there was an interesting turn this debate, which was you know Yang always said they they said D- do you want to be president? And he his answer was always I I either want to be president or I want to make sure that whoever is president is saying the same things I'm saying. Much like Inslee was doing with climate change, right? I either want which to be president. Which did not get discussed. Which they didn't deal with climate change uh, this time. Um, but isn't it interesting that you, for the first time, had multiple other candidates talking about the idea of UBI and wanting to look at UBI. You had uh, uh, Gabbard talking about it. You had uh, Beto talking and Castro being willing to look at certain kinds of UBI. So, I mean, in a, in a certain – we say he's arrogant, but he's kind of accomplishing his goal. He's getting to the point that either – you know, he, even Let's if he doesn't win, whoever's going to g- eventually get there is going to be talking about those sorts of things. Now, did he have his lapel pin over his heart this time as opposed to the wrong sign? Pins, and did he wear pins, a tie? Pins. Man, well, obviously, he didn't wear a tie. Um, but I, it's interesting. I was – like I said, I watched the LGBTQ – town hall which was great uh the week before i love the town hall so much more than the debates 35 minutes you get into it with them but who was wearing what pins just got crazy mm-hmm. you know are you wearing your flag pin or are you wearing your marriage equality pin or are you wearing your awareness. Uh, your your uh <laughs> rainbow ribbon with the black across it for pulse nightclub what pins did you decide to wear and by the way will you ever wear those pins again you know, so much has been made of, of Kamala Harris coming up and saying my pronouns are are she and hers. And then Chris Cuomo made a bad joke for a bad – oh, worst timing. And he's when usually he's, pretty he's, good he's, too. Me too. <laughs> it's like, oh, dude, don't – not in front of this audience. But it kind of bugged me that like Harris comes up and, and starts off the LGBTQ town hall by saying and my pronouns are – like I have watched so many Kamala Harris speeches. I have never heard those words come from her mouth. It was so for this audience it's at fake. this time. It, it's if, if you're going to do that, do it every time. You know, that's just I, I thought I hate Kamala Harris uh, tapped out. I didn't think she had energy. I didn't think she had direction, and she, much like Castro, just got pushed to the back of the line in the debate. I think she's she's having trouble as as so often you do maintaining the momentum you know that first debate she came out so hard she had those great moments tagging biden and she got the poll bump and now the wave as so often happens in a year and a half two-year election cycle the wave has now come back down and you you can't sustain it she's got she she has you know what else do you do you have another song for us what else do you have and and i think she's she's having trouble manufacturing not necessarily moments but manufacturing momentum that's, yeah that's tough well, jimmy buffett reference there where she, he's she's just singing margaritaville every single every night single for the rest night, of her life which is a great song but geez no yeah um i thought anderson cooper and who was that lady uh aaron burnett she, was, she had horrible posture. She was sitting in her chair all slumped like, yeah, yeah, and we're going to have to go to a commercial break here now. And it didn't, she didn't come off very well in my book. And I thought Anderson Cooper had some really horrible questions, just reaching for stuff. And he's usually well-prepared. And I would expect someone like him to kind of set the standard for moderators. Well, he did the same thing that Stephanopoulos did with the ABC debate, where instead of letting them do a closing statement, he tried to ask them sort of a an Oprah touchy-feely question. This one was, tell us um, an, an unusual friendship 
that people would be surprised. Someone, an unusual relationship that you that had was okay. that people would be surprised at. And, and what has that taught you? Um, and of course, everybody immediately went, how can I talk about John McCain? I need to find a way to talk about mm-hmm. John McCain. Um, which I believe speaks well of John McCain. You're talking about somebody who was, like we were talking about with Elijah Cummings at the beginning, willing to reach across the aisle, willing to deal with people who don't necessarily feel the same way as you do uh, about things. It, it got some people out of their bubbles, which was, I, I thought, nice. Yeah, for sure. Um, with that said, I still thought they did a poor job. I thought, who, well, forget what I think. You're the expert. Um, <laughs> Use that word loosely. Who uh, who won the debate in your eyes? Again, I know it's a theme. I know I say it every time I'm at this microphone. But in terms of these debates, winning looks different to different people. So, for instance, Bernie. You're like at, my uh, sushi chef. And when I'm like, what's good today? All of it. All of it. <laughs> um, with Bernie, of course, was, was just coming off of a heart attack. And everybody was having questions about his health. So if Bernie could just be up there for three hours you know, without chugging water and leaning on the podium and, and looking frail, that's a win for him because that's what people were worried about. By the way, Bernie got another big win later that night when he got a huge endorsement from AOC. She mm. has, she has that. Well, that, that a lot of people say that's the death stamp mm-hmm. and I'm a huge fan of hers and I love youth in politics. I love the squad. You know, it's nice to see, Young females coming through, mm-hmm. freshmen, and uh, having bold ideas and putting mm-hmm. themselves out there, and you know, gaining experience and working with these types of types yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah. And, and Bernie's fabulous. Yeah. Um, I think that endorsement is interesting, not so much in the fact that Bernie got it, but in the fact that Elizabeth Warren didn't get it. Mm. That, that she chose not to endorse Elizabeth Warren. Who is at this point the front runner and shares a lot of Bernie's ideas? Is also a woman. I mean, there, there's a lot of reasons that Elizabeth Warren you would think she would get that endorsement, and she didn't. Didn't the whole squad come out? And- squad, whole squad. He got the whole squad. Yeah, no, it's I, true. He, he never looked better. I no, thought- he looked he looked great and and had a had a decent come together moment where everybody sort of clapped for him and Kamala grabbed his hands and all that. No, he had a he had a night where he allayed people's big fears, and that for him is a win. I some people, <laughs> sure. The sure, person sure. I was watching it with was like, "This age stuff has got to stop. These old people have got to get out of the race." Biden, Warren, and uh, Bernie, and I was just like, kind of shocked by it. I was like, "Trump's pretty old right now, and he's pretty old too. He's functioning." I know Biden has been slipping up his words a bit, you know, but I don't know if it's age otherwise, as opposed to just not well prepared um but i thought bernie he had more color in his in his face he seemed calmer the thing that always drove me nuts about him and i was a big bernie supporter last election he used to wave that finger so hard and he would just fact after fact after fact he just spit it out rapid fire and it's it'd get to a point where hey i'm right here you don't need to yell Mm -hmm. type mentality and i thought he was he looked better by being more relaxed up there more comfortable and he was okay to laugh at himself a couple times you know yeah be humble um i think if you look at elizabeth warren uh as as this being her first debate as the front runner where everybody comes after you Mm -hmm. whether it's tulsi whether it's pete whatever you got to show 
Because if you if you do end up getting the nomination, you're going to be on stage on the debate stage with a much nastier, rougher guy. Mm -hmm. Um, She's got to be able to show she can handle it. And I think she did. I, I, I think that that in several moments, including that very weird moment with Biden, where he was like, you were you did a hell of a job at your job. And she was. Thank you. What what am I supposed to say? Uh, that she showed she can she can exist in the front runner chair. And I think that's a win for her. If you're asking me, like, who showed up and showed us the person that their supporters always knew were there, I got to go with Pete. Pete mm-hmm. had a night where the Pete Buttigieg that Pete Buttigieg supporters have always known was there. When's our guy going to finally show up? It's like watching the Seahawks. You're like, when is Russell going to be Russell? Come on, we're getting killed here. The Pete that, that's been out there finally showed up. And maybe that's because he's feeling desperate because he still hasn't been able to break that first tier. He's been like basically the lead guy of the second tier for a long time. He showed up and uh, he got a little bit more pissed off. He got a little bit more ornery. There was a point where I thought he and Beto were going to throw down, catch these hands. I don't need any lessons from courage on courage from you, least of all from you. Um, there were some key moments where he showed, listen, I'm, I'm willing to get testy. I'm not just the, the, the guy who speaks well and, and is the smart guy in the field. I, I can get down in the mud and, and do some wrestling. I've been to war, bro. And he, he, <laughs> and, and he interesting, who did he go back and forth a lot with? Tulsi. The two veterans up there on stage actually had some head-to-heads when she was talking about, oh, regime change wars are awful and we shouldn't be there in the first place. And, and corrected him, her. he corrected her on that. And, and uh, I... Tulsi's got to be careful. I know you've got a real soft spot for Tulsi. She's got to be careful. Again, we're back to what we talked about earlier. You can't just be responsible for how things are. You also have to be responsible for how things look. Mm-hmm. And when she talks about us not potentially going into Syria to because she doesn't think we should be trying to replace Bashir al-Assad, she does come across as, as a little a bit of an, as an Assad apologist. She does come across as somebody who thinks we should leave that part of the world to Putin and Assad and some really bad guys. Uh-huh. And she's got to be careful not just of what's true, but how it looks. And people had that fear of her supporting Assad. And, well, and, because she's been talking that for a long time. Yeah. As a congressperson, she always uh, wants to talk about regime change wars. I'm like, well, that's kind of a blanket statement. I mean, look. World War II, if you want to get technical, was a regime change war. Mm. I mean, we couldn't just sit back and go, eh, sucks to be Poland. Yeah, but this Hitler guy is everybody else's problem. No, it was a regime change war to, to get Hitler out of power and to stop Nazism. So you can't like just sort of say everything's a regime. You know, this is a regime change war and regime change wars are all bad. You got to be really, really careful about that. And again, it's not fair. But when you're running for the highest office in the land, you got to be cognizant not just of how things are, but how they look. And that's something that she, she's going to have to do. Mm-hmm. And she needs a new pantsuit. She's worn that white pantsuit a couple times now. Well, but Warren and everybody's, everybody sort of has their, their you know, uh, Yang doesn't wear a tie. Pete, you know, his big thing with the, with the tie, but the sleeves rolled up. Uh, uh, who else? Um, Elizabeth Warren has decided that hers is, is uh, the, the black shirt with the slacks and the red sweater over it. I mean, brand is a big deal. You got to you got to tag people need to tag things in their head with you. And if if she is the all white, you know, with Marianne Williamson basically out of the field, she's left that. Well, she was pale. Uh, uh, the, you know, the, the all white suit is now where we're going. So, well, yeah. it looks good on her. Don't get me wrong. OK. Um, Pete, Pete did step up. I thought that was his best moment. But who I thought 
one, and I know winning looks different to everybody, was Amy Klobuchar. I thought she broke out for the first time. And, you know, she's been pretty prolific in in writing law and passing bills and being a functioning um, political player. But I think she was ready to take people on and put them in their place. And I thought she stood up and and did really, really well. Well enough to, you know, my takeaway being the winner of the debate. How'd you feel she did? I, I think that, that with both her and Pete, and I think you can put Yang in this group too, there comes a point where why not? Right. What you're what you've been doing up to now isn't working. You're not gaining poll numbers. Your fundraising hasn't really taken a sharp unless you're Pete hasn't really taken a sharp wave upward. So just sort of sitting back and being good and being knowledgeable and having a great resume, it's not helping you. So why not play hurry up offense? Right. Why, why not attack? Why not go a little hardcore? Uh, what What are you going to do? Is, is it going to you can lose? Well, you're losing now. So mm-hmm. so why not? You know, you, you don't want to sit there and do the Rocky thing of like rock switch to Southpaw, switch to Southpaw. I ain't switching. You don't want to do that. If, if it's if it's not going to if you're going to go down, go down fighting. And I, I think she she obviously felt that. Um, is it going to be enough? And see, this is the question with everybody. It's been the question with every after every debate. Okay, so you had a good debate. Okay, so you had good moments and you had good sound bites. Where do you care? Will that, that translate to a poll bump and a fundraising bump? We were talking about Kamala Harris, right? Had some great moments. Never really translated to a poll bump and a fundraising bump. And if it doesn't, then maybe Steve Bullock is right. And this thing isn't going to be won or lost on debates. I remember when I started talking to you and, and we first started doing these way back, what was it, four or five months ago? Uh, I told you that one of the old political saws about debates is you're not going to win an election with the debates, but man, you can sure lose it. Mm. Biden's a perfect example. Yeah. Biden has just given them bad moment after bad moment after bad moment, whether it's all gathering around the record player or, you know, How does he keep polling so high. He's got massive name recognition. He's re- he's got the, the Barack Obama relation. Um, Everybody knows who he is, and he is very comfortable to a certain group of people. Again, one of the things we've talked about before, too, is if a Democrat is going to win this, what they've got to do is they've got to go back and get those people who voted for Obama and then turned around and voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who say that he's your best shot because he can get those people. Um, and, and Democrats, again, over and over again, when you poll them, say that the number one thing they're looking for in a nominee is their ability to beat Donald Trump. It's not your amazing health care plan. It's not how you feel about mandatory versus voluntary AR-15 buyback. It's can you beat Trump? And in, in that way, he has thus far, thus far, I, I tend to believe he's in a bit of a free fall. But thus far, he has he has shown that he's the guy that they think can go get Wisconsin and Indiana and Pennsylvania Michigan. and Michigan and, and get those states back. That's that's how he's he's Before he was vice president. Was he a judge or something? No, he's a, a senator. Senator. Yeah, he's long, long running senator. Um, and, uh, you know, has an amazing 
life story. I mean, it, uh, you know, wife and uh, 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 killed in a, in a car accident when he was younger, yeah, um, had a, a son uh, who uh, went off and, and served tours and then died of brain cancer. I mean, just has story after story after story of character and, and was a good friend with somebody like a John McCain, has shown some ability to reach across the aisle. But, uh, uh, you know, he and, and Obama had this legendary sort of, you know, poncho and lefty <laughs> friendship and that's that's why that's what's why, that reference from uh and lefty well poncho and lefty a song by towns van zandt that was made famous by uh, willie nelson and and uh, uh um uh i know willie nelson did it but also uh waylon jennings but if you look at at one of the things that he's doing he is an establishment candidate who is also polling amazingly well among african-american voters and you're going to have to do well with African-American voters to beat Trump. You're going to mm-hmm. have to. Because, again, they came out for Obama. They didn't really come out for Hillary Clinton. No. <laughs> Such a shit show. It's, it's, I remember it's taking my young son to uh, Safeco for the Bernie rally. Yeah, you, you took him to Bernie. Yeah. And uh, how he was – he just stood up in the bleachers and was clapping. And he was so excited. Yeah. And he was so young to be involved in any political anything. Mm-hmm. But I asked him why he um, liked it so much. He was like, he's speaking to me. He's speaking to me, Dad. He's talking about everything that I want in life. And I was just like, wow, powerful moment. And then the whole fiasco went between him and Hillary. And right. I was pretty crushed right? because I was so done with the Clintons by then. Well, and, and so was a great deal of America. I mean, one of the things that America said very clearly in their polling, they were tired of Clintons and Bushes. Mm-hmm. You know, they're tired of – we're and a Clintons very, and Bushes. We're a very interesting country because on the one hand, we say over and over again that we don't like political dynasties. Power handed down from father to son like John Adams and, and the, the John Quincy Adams and all the – you know we don't like dynasties. That's why we got away from England. We don't want Bushes and we don't want Clintons. We don't want power passed around a family. And yet we also say when polled, we want things to get done fast. We want efficacy. We want, we want utilitarian. We want things to happen. We want people who are not going to have a high ramp up to the office, that they're going to know where the bathrooms are on the first day, and they're going to know how things work, and they're not going to need a lot of orientation. Okay. So on the one hand, America, you're telling us you don't want power passed around amongst the same people. On the other hand, you don't want learning on the job. So Mm. which is it? Really? Because those two things are kind of mutually exclusive. All right, I want to make sure we hit each one of them. Castro, what's again, his future look like? Again, having strong moments has obviously laid out where his uh, uh, where his strong issues are. Did that interesting thing uh, two or three days before the debate where he was leading refugees across the border, uh, went down and had some some photo ops. Uh, down at the border with uh, with with refugees and asylum seekers, and that eight year old um, girl that scaled the wall that yeah, Trump built. Yeah, I, I mean, just <laughs> but uh, but again, I not somebody who's getting bumps and fundraising bumps. I it's who, who started the conversation of the opioids being declassified or not a criminal charge. Uh, that's been well, Booker's into that. 
and and uh, some of some of the other candidates and and uh, yes, absolutely, Castro is is part of that as well. And he wanted to decriminalize. He wants to decriminalize crossing the border, yeah. as well. Like that's um, a civil offense. So it's it's tough though because again, if you're not in a certain part of the country where he really has been a name in the news, right. he has a hard time generating name recognition. And I, I, I think a lot more people are going to know who he is after this is all over, but, but you, you don't see it translating into big numbers for him. No, and I think it, even if it did, it would become that wall or no wall discussion, you know, and people would not get off that and he would not get past it. Right. It's difficult for him. So you think he makes the next debate? Oh, yeah. I mean, he'll be on the stage. He he's very likely uh, going to be on the stage. Look, Tom Steyer has enough money that he's not going anywhere till Iowa. A lot of these people aren't going anywhere till Iowa. Mm-hmm. They're not going to they're not necessarily going to drop out uh, because they're, they're not necessarily going to just run out of cash. But they're not going anywhere till Iowa. But after Iowa happens at the beginning of February, that's when you'll see, like we were talking about with Cory Booker, a bunch of people going, OK, am I just staying in this for ego or do I legitimately have a shot to, to be the person? And I think I think he's going to be he's going to have some some hard choices to make. Yeah, Steyer did good, but how many minutes did he get to talk? Like he didn't four? do badly. His his job uh, was to introduce himself to the American people because most people had no idea who he was, what he was for. Um, I really wish he uh, had hammered on kind of what is one of his main points more. I, I think where he has traction and where he has a lane to run is term limits. He's very vocal in terms of term limits. And I have to say, once upon a time, I was not a term limit guy. I believed that, listen, it's worth sitting around and having a Jesse Helms or a Strom Thurmond in the Senate if I can get a Dennis Kucinich or a Ted Kennedy as long as I want. If the good guys can stick around, I'm willing to have some of the other guys stick around. Over the course of time and the way our legislative process is now just utterly broken – and with the numbers and the, and the money that's that's in the process now, I've come around that that really term limits are one of the only ways we can maybe break this logjam. Because when you are dealing with politicians who see politics as a career, mm. then they are going to make every decision based on staying and keeping their career. Look, we always all forget to take us back to early American history. Once upon a time – being president or being a senator, whatever, was a temp job. It was designed by our founders as a temp job. You weren't a politician. You were a farmer or a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. And you got the call from the American people, the people, you know, the, the people of your state or the people of your country. It used to be gauche to campaign. Abraham Lincoln never campaigned. You, you, you had to be you, – you were begged. You were called to run. So then you come to Washington and you serve knowing that it's a temp job, knowing that it's a, at a certain time after you're, you voted the way you voted. You're going to go back to being a doctor or a farmer or a lawyer. There's something back waiting for you. You aren't coming to stay. And so what do you do then? You make votes based on conscience. And even if you wouldn't vote the same way I would vote, we're both voting in the way that we feel is the right way for the American people. That's first and foremost. Well, something shifted and being a politician became a career that you want to come to Washington and stay and you don't really have a plan B. And if you do, it's going to K Street and becoming a lobbyist. 
Well, you know what they say about plan B. If you have a plan B, your plan A wasn't very good. And, And so when you, when that's you, now your first priority in making votes is what keeps you in power, is what keeps your job. Now your priority is, ooh, what do the people back home, oh, what what will I get voted out if I, if I vote? Or if I'm seen shaking hands with Elijah Cummings, what are they going to, oh, what are they going to think about me? I might get voted out. When you are voting in terms of career as opposed to, eh, in eight years I'm going back home anyway, it fundamentally changes how the legislature works. And that's a very dangerous place to be. And, and your health. I mean, look at Obama. He was graying out looking really ragged. Oh, sure. As soon as he was out living the civilian life, he's happy as can be and healthy. Yet, if we talk about politicians and how old they are and how things look, how much of a badass, a black belt ninja badass is Jimmy Carter? Mm-hmm. Falls, okay, at black an age guy. where a fall would put most people on the road to the great beyond. I mean, hanging out in God's waiting room, right? Mm-hmm. Two days later, at a Habitat for Humanity site, banging nails with, with one shot. And do, I mean, I mean, this he's, is, he's the oldest living president right now, right? And I would argue our greatest ever single term president. Ex president. In, in other words, he has had more of an impact and, and, and created more social change and, and been a, a better spokesman for America as an ex president, as an after president in his next act than he was technically as a president. Yeah. Presidency, not a, his presidency was not a huge success. Not a lot of good stuff got done. And not just because of the Iranian hostage crisis. The man was too smart. He was a nuclear freaking engineer on, for submarines, by the way. And he was handing Congress these pieces of legislation that were just too complex for them to understand. And, and he wasn't a great bringer together. Of in that in that Lyndon Baines Johnson way of twisting a senator's arm behind his back and going, you're going to vote for this. He wasn't good at that. But as an ex-president, he has been this great uniter. And, and you know, we were talking about, oh, is this president too old? Oh, is she too old? Oh, is Trump too old? And you see Jimmy Carter taking a fall and then give me my hammer. Bam, bam, bam. I mean, he's, look a, at he's a badass. Ruth Ginsburg, too. Oh, yeah. In, in how old is she? And, and has how many times has, has she had to undergo cancer and chemo treatments and she's just hanging in man the the day a democrat is sworn in to the to the oval office she's going i'll see ya. she's just going to take her a well-earned rest she's holding the line yeah and she's bright as can be and by the way did you notice we had some of our first conversations at this particular democratic debate about packing or not packing the supreme court which is a very very interesting idea. Pete actually has one of the, a, a very interesting idea for that, in which case five are appointed, you go to 15 instead, as opposed to nine, five are appointed, five voted for, and then five are selected by the other 10. It's mm. fascinating. You know? So the court basically does not become a political body. Which is, is and then by the way, there's nothing sacred about the number nine. We've had three, we've had seven, we've had you know. There's no law that says we got to have nine. So can you? What can you do to keep the court from becoming a political entity? He's got a fascinating idea on that. I people should take a look. Beto talked a lot about um, guns coming back. Right. How much traction do you think that has? Well, I think he he. Does he have to talk about that topic more than anything? That's, now? That's, that's his big deal. But also, I mean, we did. It's an interesting discussion to have to say, what's the difference between voluntary, voluntary and mandatory? Because if you're going to say you want to do a mandatory buyback, a mandatory buyback. So the next question is always, OK, are you going door to door? 
If it's mandatory, are you literally going to knock on people's doors and say, do you have any guns here? Because that is, of course, the dark dream of the NRA that they're selling everybody on is they're going to come to your house and ask if you've got guns and then take them from you. So are you going to play into that? Are you going to do that? Or is it a voluntary buyback? As Elizabeth Warren said, you know, once upon a time, people had machine guns. You know, the big Tommy guns with the, you know, gangsters. And we decided people shouldn't have those anymore. So what did we do? We criminalized them. We gave people a chance to buy them back. And then if we ever saw you had one, we took it from you and you were in trouble and you went to jail. But we didn't go door to door to your house. So that's the question. When you say you're going to have a mandatory buyback, are you going to go door to door to people's house? If so, you're going to have a real problem. Because if you look at guns in this country, there's two conflicting stats. The stats are telling us on the one hand, Gun ownership is down. Fewer and fewer people own guns than ever before in America. And yet, gun sales out of the stores are up. So how do you square those two circles? Well, the way you do is, what does that make you believe? If fewer and fewer people own more and more guns, what have we got? We've got the rise of the gun nut. We've got the rise of the collector, quote unquote, air quotes. We've got this person, you know, who owns 20, 30, Mm -hmm. 40 guns. You know, who feels about guns the way I feel about guitars. Actually, that's not a good analogy because guitars aren't designed to hurt and kill people. Okay, banjos. Um, Sorry, a little banjo dig on banjo players. But the idea is you've got these few people who own tons and tons of guns. If we're going to say mandatory buyback, are we going to come and knock on the house of that guy who's got 40 guns in his basement of all different kinds and say, all right, bud, we're here. Hand over your your non-legal guns. Yeah, how do, how do you think that's going to go? Are we ready for a Ruby Ridge standoff every week in the news? Are you ready for the FBI surrounding, going town to town and surrounding these guys' houses and God knows who gets hurt every week? Are you going to do that? Because if you're not, it's not really mandatory. It's voluntary. Mm-hmm. And these are the kinds of I's we got to dot and T's we got to cross as opposed to just saying, hell yeah, we're going to take your AR-15. How, what's going to happen matters. I got an extremely bad idea that's unpopular. Which is? Guns. Um, your regular beat cop. Okay. No longer has a, a gun. We lead by example. We're going to England. Or Japan. Yeah. Or many of these other countries that doesn't have gun violence. Right, right. So like a special tactical unit like SWAT would have guns probably. But the average cop in a police car would not have a, a gun. Now, do, does that example start to continue on and do we start to reverse this necessity of guns or does it become the criminals say hey it's a free-for-all cops can't do anything anymore yeah we'll see the first problem you're going to have is you're going to have massive attrition from the police forces because the police forces they're going to quit because they're going to go you're you're already doing that you're going to stick me out there unarmed and only and it's the old nra saying if you criminalize guns only criminals will have guns so so you're Mm going to put me out there with with the criminals are armed and i've got what a really cool taser no they're they're not going to go for that billy but, club billy club exactly but the other but the the way you're you're actually your your point is cogent one of the things that, that there most, it is how long did it take to say cogent that's uh, your favorite it's, word it's one i don't know if you knew it works well um but one of the ways that 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 works people have no idea most people have no idea how many cops every year get their guns wrestled and taken away from them and used against them it's it's one of the, the great, you know, dirty secrets of guns in America. Highly trained cops, 
More highly trained. By the way, most people who buy a gun get no training. None. Statistically, only like 5 to 10% get yeah, any sort of training. That should be part of the, the mandatory There you um, go. But cops who get a ton of training, who get – they go to police academies. They, they go and take gun safety once a year or to get back out. Those people, those highly trained people get their guns taken away from them and used against them. Something like fourteen to, to 1,600 every year. All right? So if a highly trained cop, that's going to happen to – what's that – how am I going to deal with that when like I wake up and I hear a bump in the night and I go over and put my fingers on the, the bio thing and my drawer pops open and I take my little, you know, 357 downstairs shaking in my bathrobe. If a highly trained cop's going to get his gun taken away from him and used again, what chance do I have? And what what is the likelihood that I'm actually going to end up blowing away my own 18-year-old kid who got up and decided she wanted a milkshake at the, in the night and was trying to sneak down and get it? Well, kind of like the the double amputee Olympiad from Australia who his uh, girlfriend went into the bathroom and he shot her if, through if the door. If you believe his story, right. He shot her through the door because he thought I, she was I actually in. do believe his I think, story. I think those sorts of things happen every day. He was in a boarding school and they'd take away his uh, prosthesis mm-hmm. and pull the fire alarm. And they'd always mess with him in that type of capacity and really? made him a very defenseless uh, child in that boarding school. And he got hazed all the time and he was always fearing for his life. Well, and, and the fascinating thing is what, what the NRA and groups like it and the gun manufacturers themselves always talk about is training, training, training. Well, we're going to – if you teach kids how to do it right, it's all going to be great. You ever heard of the Eddie Eagle program? So they do the Eddie Eagle program, which is basically you have Eddie Eagle who's the mascot and he teaches kids, hey, kids, if you ever open a drawer or you're in a desk and you see a gun, walk away, go away and tell an adult. And they go through all this training and training. Well, they took kids who had been through the Eddie Eagle program and they put them in a room with fake guns in the in the desk and drawers and lots of toys all around and they put video cameras in there no adults right and they just showed you the kids playing for about an hour all these kids who had been through the eddie eagle program who had been through they open the drawer they find the fake gun what do they start doing pointing at each other bang 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 bang. yeah training training is going to work great let's let's do that that's gonna that's gonna be good that's not a pretty picture no it's not cory booker Again, uh, is great on the debate stage. If we were going to have 10 more debates before February, he'd sign up for all of them and he'd do great. He's terrific in the town halls. It's not translating into a bump. It's not translating into more fundraising. He barely is, is hanging on fundraising-wise. And again, to, to reiterate what I've said before, most people who stop running for president don't stop running for president because they suddenly go, I've been so blind. They run out of money. Mm-hmm. They can't put fuel in the jet. They can't uh, pay their empl- their uh, their campaign workers. They can't pay for hotel rooms in the different states that they're going to. You run out of cash. So that looks like a problem for Gabbard, Castro, oh, gosh, yes. Booker. Yeah. Uh, maybe Amy Klobuchar. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, again, she's going to hang on till Iowa just because that's – she and Pete both, they're counting on middle America. They're counting on, I'm big in Indiana, I'm big in Minnesota, I'm big, I can get you back those states that we lost to Trump. And their, their, their whole game plan is, I'm going to show you that in Iowa. Iowa's where I live, Iowa's where they know me, the northern, the rust belt, I'm going to hang in there and I'm going to show you this big showing in Iowa and show everybody I can get those middle American states back. That's what she's banking on. How do you think the format would change if you went in as couples, like Joel and Tim, Vice president and president uh, into the debate. If you had to pick your running mate a little, little earlier. Um, 
it would change things. I mean, God knows we, we've done that at certain points in American history. I mean, for those of you who don't remember, what we used to do long, long ago is we had the election and the person who got the most votes got to be president and the person who got the second most votes got to be vice president. So you could have a, a you know, Republican president and a Federalist vice president from two totally different parties. I would have loved to see Trump and Hillary work together. They got, yeah, right. They would have to have found a way to get along. This is what gives us things like during the Andrew Jackson presidency, John Calhoun uh, and and from South Carolina, uh, you know, one of the, the great figures of the Confederacy and, and uh, Jackson investigating if the vice president could be hung. I mean, that's, that's how we, so we used to do that. For a while, um, then we got to to places where we they did want you to kind of look at them as a pair, like Tippecanoe and Tyler too, where you have a, a, a war hero. What's that reference from? I remember that as a kid. William Tyler ran as as president, and then you had uh, a, the, his his running mate. <clears throat> it's various times where. You're trying to fill in each other's gaps. Let's say you have somebody who you think can get the northern states and the southern states, and you put them all together as a chair. What we've come to in the last few years is it's you got to be pretty clear that it's going to be you before you start talking about running mates. And, yeah. you know, because obviously nobody wants to say, I want to be a running mate now. I mean, if you ask Beto O'Rourke, hey, Beto, are you really running for vice president? He's going to get pissy because mm-hmm. that means you're, you're not. A, hey, Pete, would you be interested in being Bernie's running mate? No, I want to be the guy. But, he would make a great but vice once president. it's clear who it's going to be, yeah, they would all love to be vice president. And then, you know, they, you know, they say, hey, listen, looks like Bernie's going to be the guy. Would you uh, would you like to be Bernie's vice president? You sign on. Yes. And then what are you going to do? You're going to spend like the next few years walking around the West Wing going Bernie, boo, and jumping out from around corners and stuff like that. That's not cool. You don't want to do that. <laughs> do you think Bernie has a chance at all? Sure. I, th- I think Bernie has a chance. Bernie has a massive fundraising lead. He's got lots of good endorsements. Um, I do think the heart attack is going to make people, whether they admit it or not, think hard about his age. Yeah, but people, that that's a stint. It's a very common sure, procedure. Sure, absolutely. And you know that, and I know that. But a lot of people just know he had a heart attack. That's all they know, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think, and, and Bernie is also going to have to constantly educate people on what socialism is and is not and what Medicare for all and single payer systems and all those sorts of things are. He's going to have to do so much education before he can persuade. Well, he likes to do that. He likes to do that. But do you have time to do that in 30 second commercials? Is Trump going to let you do that on the debate stage? No. He's just going to say socialism. It's all we want. We want crazy Bernie socialism. Is that what you want? Do you want the hospital to be like the DMV? Do you want that kind of wait time? Do you want the government to come in and tell you what doctors you can see and have all that? And what Bernie needs to come back and do and go, socialism. Oh, so you mean we all pay taxes and it helps us all. So you mean like the fire department? We all pay taxes and the fire department comes out and puts out the fires. So the socialism is the fire department? Really? The police department? We Mm -hmm. all pay taxes and then the police department comes and helps us all? So there's the police department socialist? Hey, you can denigrate me all you want, but I'm not going to stand here while you denigrate the brave men and women of our first responders as police and fire department Mm -hmm. and refer to them as as communists and socialists. How dare you, sir? How dare you? That's what he's going to have to do. I think I said this about when Howard Schultz dropped out. Um, We need to start looking at the things that we have more commonality in. And I think we're a lot more centrist and socialist than we give each other credit for. 
you know, it's it's like a bad word in some places, but I'm I'm pretty sure that it's in our DNA to some extent. Well, sure, and the the ists and the isms don't really work in a complex world. No, I mean again, the idea that it's all capitalist or it's all socialist, and here as we are almost a quarter of the way through the 21st century, the only two governmental and economic systems that we have to choose from, some would have us believe, are this idea from the, the 17th century and this idea from the 18th century. Come on. The world's more complicated than yeah. that. The world's it's more evolved. complicated than that. So, so to, to be able to – but for a lot of people, especially people who like the world nice and simple um, and don't want to do a lot of homework and haven't done a lot of reading, to be able to and – to, and for people who would like to play to those people as a voting base, the ability to point your finger at somebody and apply a label to them, socialist communist yeah we, radical that's that's a quick and easy way we either want to be identified in a tribe or we <laughs> or we want to be able to label somebody we right. like to yeah. label people you know yeah that's a labeling all right we'll get out of here now but um one one last thing did you hear that uh they caught el chapo's yeah kid the whole thing going on down in mexico and then let him go how do you think that's going to affect what Trump's vernacular is this week. Well, again, what has from the day I mean, I take you back to the day he announced coming down that escalator and then talking about the the uh, the borders. They're not sending their best people. They're not. They're sending thieves. They're sending sending criminals. They're rapists. You know, it feeds into that narrative of be scared, be mm-hmm. scared of Mexico. If, we, if you don't if, if you don't build that wall, if we don't put snakes and alligators in the moat. in the moat, we're going to have a moat in that. That's kind of fun. Um, then these are the people who are coming. These are the people who want to come when, in fact, what I would do is if I were somebody like, say, a Castro or somebody who's talking about decriminalizing the border, I would flip that around. I would flip that argument and say, no, these, this is why the people who want to come want to come. They're running from this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, they sh- these, this firefight shut down that town for a day. Can you? Kids didn't go to school. People who were having heart attacks didn't get to go to hospitals. Ambulances were all taken up and couldn't get through the streets. That's what... These people are running from – and by the way, this made the news, okay? This sort of thing happens every day. Daily. In places like – Brazil. Yeah, and Honduras and and places like – this is what these people are running from. This is why you pick up your kid and decide you're going to walk 4,000 miles to abort. This this is why you do that because it's awful and it's terrible and it's horrible. So if, if when he wants to sort of flip it and flip it and say this is what you're you're letting across the border if you don't do my stuff, you got to flip it around and say no. This is why the people who want to come across this is what they're running from. This is why they need to get a, 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 a asylum and refugee status. This is this is why. This this is exactly why. Awesome, Joel. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming in. And Always fun, man. Talking politics. I've never been more invested in it in my life. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's cool. Part, you're a big part of why that has happened. Oh, you're very nice. You're nice. And I appreciate you sharing it with the listeners. Cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you next time. And who knows what will have happened. I mean, things are moving so fast now. By the next time you and I sit down here, we could, have had, we could have had articles of impeachment. We could have had uh, various members of the cabinet step down. It looks like we're going to lose Rick Perry as, uh, as energy secretary. I don't think probably Mick Mulvaney's long for this world. Uh, Rudy Giuliani may be in a court, you know, wearing an orange jumpsuit. We don't know. A lot could have changed because things are moving really fast right now.
You've been listening to The Bystander. Be kind. Sometimes I wanna go, sometimes I wanna leave Sometimes I really don't know, should I even breathe? Sometimes I want snow, and at times I want breeze Wish that I could fly, they say this be the fall, I'll be the leaves It all comes to me, covers me, life's a dream Mother Earth is loving me, like your fingers loving Pluck the strings, love is running up when flowing down the stream Forget know that up is dream, wish to grow and touch things Don't rush things, the hush things, with what heard from soul Keep so gold, like a trust, a rust, a blade of mine When your goals are mountains, with the way the climb Thirsty, but ego moves the fountain from the way of eye Like, who knew that you could fly on? And who but you to rely on? Yeah. And seemingly, sun is feeding me No way to find shade of days When no days are haze of mine with no shades, I gaze the sky Hoping sun will reach the dreams inside Reach the seas of mine Defeat the need to climb For I be it No need to reach for sky Though still pond is I Flowing though still is pine Of mine watching though I'm walking on the fine clouds of eye Now sublime As I like under stars Having no stars of mine Wonder if death is fine For at times Life's a park awfully dark I'm quite alone, the sight is dark Yeah, uh, And it's quite dark but I know I can't fight hard And I find sharks deep in eye Deep inside resides the deepest mind Who knew that you could fly on? And who put you to rely on? Who knew that you could fly on?